What's up, Westside family? How are y'all? It's good to be back with you. Always, always, always good to be here. Um, I, I miss Pastor Doug as well. You know what? I, I just was thinking about this this week. <clears throat> if the Word of God is something we come to feast on every Sunday, I just want you to know, do you realize you have a master chef that preaches the Word to you every week? Listen, I'm, if you, yeah, clap for that. That's good. If, if, you, if you just go out and start looking at different churches' websites and start looking at um, kind of what, what's preached through, you know not many senior pastors tackle preaching through the book of Revelation. And, and listen, I've been meeting with Pastor Doug. I know how much work and time he is pouring into this study, and I hope you're blessed by it. And just, I'm so thankful for the master chef you get who prepares this meal for you every week. But let's jump in God's word together this morning. Ephesians chapter three. If you have the Bible in front of you, grab it. Ephesians chapter three. And as you turn there, I gotta know something. Where are my thrill seekers out here? Thrill seekers? Thrill seekers? All right, who, who likes <laughs> Thrill seekers can never just be like, yes, I'm a thrill seeker. They're always like, me, I'm a thrill seeker. Who likes, who likes a good roller coaster from time to time? Okay, wow, wow. What, if you stop and think about it, though, have you ever really stopped and thought about the, the premise behind a roller coaster? I mean, here's what we do. If you really stop and pull back and think about what we do, we jump in a line like a bunch of cattle and we weave our way through there for two or three hours for some of the best ones, all to be scared to death. You guys are putting your hands up now. All to be scared to death for like two minutes. Think about that. We stand in line for hours. We're bored out of our gourd for hours just so we can be scared out of our mind for a matter of like a minute and a half. How many of you have been on this ride before? Millennium Force, huh? When you stop and just think about the premise of a roller coaster, it's kind of like, man, yeah, what are we doing? Now, you careful, calm, collected people, you're like, I've been saying this for years, right? (laughs) I've been saying this for years. Why would I stand in line with all these sweaty people just to ride this thing for a few minutes? You've never gotten it. But for the rest of us here, we know there's something about it. You're going, the the answer to that question, easy. What's the big deal of roller coasters? It's the thrill. We are willing to stand in line forever just to be thrilled, to be scared, to step off the thing at the end, dizzy with a headache because we long for this thrill. We long to be swept away by something so much more powerful than we are. Think about that. What if our willingness to stand in line to watch, to ride a roller coaster is really just a reflection of something we all long for spiritually. We long to be swept away, to be awed, to be thrilled by something going to work that is infinitely more powerful than we are. Amen? And this is, this is what's always drawn me to this prayer Paul prays right in the middle of the book of Ephesians. 
See, Paul sticks a linchpin right in the middle of his letter, uh, writing to the church at Ephesus, writing to other churches that this letter would circle around and be read to. He sticks a linchpin right in the middle of this letter, connecting the heavily theological of the first half of the letter to the just perfectly practical of the second half. And right in the middle, Paul connects these with this awesome, awesome prayer. And in this prayer, he prays some of the most audacious things you could ever ask the Lord for. In this prayer, he prays over and over again that believers would be empowered and that we would also understand the power that the Lord has. And I don't know about you, but how would we pray differently? How would we live differently if we really understood the power behind the one we pray to? We're like, we're five weeks away from launching another Harvest Bible Chapel in the city of Indianapolis. Yeah, how about that? This is our prayer. What we're going to read today is our prayer for that church. It's our prayer for your church. It's our prayer for every church that calls themselves a church. It's our prayer for every life of someone following hard after Jesus Christ. And in this prayer, we're just gonna pull out for ourselves today these four attributes, these four things we are pursuing for both our life and our churches. And I hope by the end of this, we are ready to run through a brick wall for Christ and his church because this is one of the greatest locker room talks Paul could ever give or pray. And so you ready to jump in? Let's do it. Ephesians chapter three. I'm gonna begin reading now in verse 14. And Paul prefaces this, prefaces this prayer with these words. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Okay, so anytime we see that in scripture, for this reason, we always have to look back and say, okay, what, Paul, what's the reason? What has driven you to your knees? What, is, what has made you want to pray here? Uh, here's what I love about Paul's writing. He tried to start this thought back in verse one. Look at, look at verse one of Ephesians chapter three. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then do you see like a little dash there in your Bible after that? Paul goes off on this like spirit-directed tangent for verses two through 13, where he's just like, oh yeah, the Gentiles, listen guys, here's this awesome mystery, you're now a part of this, and Paul just goes off on a tangent here, and in verse 14, he gets back to the thought he was trying to start back in verse one. So what's the reason Paul's talking about both in verse one of Ephesians three and verse 14 of Ephesians three? We gotta look back at chapter two for it. And here's how Paul ends chapter two of Ephesians. He's rejoicing over, this, over the fact that now both Jew and Gentile are being built together into this new temple, this church. He's going, Gentiles, listen, you're part of this. You are part of this. Jew and Gentile built together into the church where Christ is the cornerstone, where God will be glorified forever. And Paul is writing about this. And now in verse 14, here's the truth. That's the truth that has driven him to his knees. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. 
Okay, stop right there. What's Paul doing here? Before Paul jumps into what he's going to pray for, he just pauses right here and reminds himself, reminds his readers of who he is praying to. He says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This idea here of family is is, uh, ancestors all coming from one descendant. Paul's reminding us God is sovereign over all and he includes both, he's sovereign over all in heaven, he's sovereign over all on earth. Psalm 24, one says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And so Paul just pauses to recognize, I bow my knee before the one who is both creator, sustainer, and namer over everything, both in heaven and on earth. And I think sometimes before we go to pray, how powerful is it just to remind ourselves of the one we are praying to, the all-sovereign one the one in whom everything falls under and Paul prefaces his prayer and then he jumps into just some amazing, amazing petitions he brings before the Lord. Look at verse 16. I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Here it is. That, out, that according to the riches of his glory, stay with it here, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. It's a mouthful there. That he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his, inner be- through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What are, what are, what's, the first, what's the first attribute we're going after as, for our lives in our church? Here it is. We are pursuing a life in church where God's unlimited power is at work in us. We're pursuing a life in church where God's unlimited power is at work in us. Look at what this, look at what Paul prays here. What's he pray for? He prays that the believers would be strengthened with power. How? Through God's spirit. The spirit is always the source of strength. The spirit is always the source of power in the life of the believer. We cannot produce. I think think we all get that it's gotta be God alone who saves us. It's God alone for our salvation. But sometimes I think we forget it's also God alone for our sanctification and not just our salvation. It's the spirit working in us that produces us living this life to honor the Lord. So Paul prays that the believers would be strengthened with power. How? Through his spirit. Where? In your inner being. And he prays all this back to the beginning of verse 16. He says, Out of, according to what? According to what? What's it say? Beginning of verse 16. According to the what? Riches of his glory. You know, I kept studying that this week, and, and who remembers the old classic DuckTales? Disney? Uncle Scrooge's never-ending room of treasure, right? That he'd dive into and swim around, and all of us as kids were like, oh, one day, one day. This is just the image that came to mind, that out of God, according to God's riches, 
the riches of his glory, he strengthens believers, and God strengthens believers with power through his spirit according to a, a Uncle Scrooge riches room that has no floor and no ceiling and no walls. He empowers believers according to the riches of his glory, and the riches of his glory are inexhaustible, unlimited riches. And he strengthens us, these verses say, in our inner being. Sounds so new agey, right? I've been working out of a Starbucks. This, this is totally a conversation I would hear at the table next to me. Just really looking to be strengthened in my inner being right now. And I'm sitting there like, what are you guys talking about? The guy across the table is like, oh, let's get a scone and pontificate more on that. What, what, what is Paul saying here? I want believers to be strengthened in their inner being. Look, look, at, look again at the beginning of verse 17. I, I think it helps us understand what Paul's getting at here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The beginning of verse 17, so that, tells us that what Paul's about to write next is connected to what he's just written. I think verse 16 and verse 17 are actually parallel. That when Paul talks about being strengthened, being strengthened in our inner being, he is talking about Christ dwelling in our hearts. To say it like this, I think being powered by the Holy Spirit means Christ is dwelling in our hearts through faith. That there's a connection between verse 16 and verse 17. And so when ta Paul talks about, I want the believers to be strengthened in their inner being, he said, I want Christ to be seated on the throne of the believer's heart. Because when Christ is seated on the throne of the believer's heart, the spirit is going to work. Now, when you think about verse 17, though, for a second, that Paul prays, for the church, for the churches, for the believers that he's writing to, that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Why, why is Paul asking that Christ would dwell in the hearts of believers? Isn't Christ already dwelling there? Upon profession of faith, don't we get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Christ ruling and reigning our heart? Why is Paul praying for Christ to dwell this, this dwell word to take up permanent residence on the throne of these people's hearts because I, you, we, we all know why, right? Think about it. If you've walked with the Lord for any amount of time at all, don't you know that your heart is just a consistent and constant idol factory? That there's this throne on my heart and there's this throne on your heart and the throne's created for Christ alone. And But we need as believers like a 24-7 homeland security, black belt karate, fighting off all the idols who are trying to dethrone the king of kings and set themselves up as false kings on our heart, right? And Paul's prayer for the believer, let Christ dwell in that. Let Christ sit on that throne. He's the only one the throne was created for. He understands something about all of our hearts. 
It is an idol factory and idols are seeking to hijack and throw him off that throne over and over and over again. And he prays for the believers here for Christ to dwell in their hearts through faith. Through faith. I love how Paul starts this prayer. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. How? Through his spirit, where? In your heart. The Christian walk is an inside out walk. God is after, he's pegging, he's zeroing in on our heart, right? Because once he has our heart, it's out of our heart that we think and we talk and we do, and it's out of our heart that we have the motives for all of that. God knows once he has our heart, he has our mouth and he has our hands and he has our mind. But he's going after the heart and Paul prays would God's spirit empower the believer, would Christ dwell on the believer's heart. And listen, um, when believers, when we church, when we are powered, when we have God's unlimited power at work in us, it says out of our life comes the fruit of the spirit, right? So the fruit of the spirit is love. And frankly, there's people in our life we don't wanna love. Frankly, there's people in our life that are hard to love. And yet when we find ourselves loving people who are hard to love, we can't point to some, some power inside of us. We point to the spirit at work in us. The fruit of the spirit is joy. So when you watch a believer going through circumstances of life that should rob all joy out of them, and yet you're seeing them be joyful, we are seeing God at work in that person, amen? The fruit of the spirit is peace. And again, when you watch someone go through something that should rob them of all peace, and yet you're seeing peace reign in their heart, God's spirit is at work within us. And this is what we're pursuing, church, that God's spirit would be manifest in our lives, that Christ would be dwelling on our hearts. And here's what happened when a group of Jesus followers get together and Christ is dwelling on the heart and the spirit is empowering us. Unbelievers look in and they go, weird, that ain't normal. Gotta know more. How are you peaceful in the midst of this? How are you joyful with this going on? Hey, how do you love that dude? When unbelievers see this, it's like a magnet that attracts them in because it's not us, it's God's power working inside of us. And this is what Paul is praying for the believers here. And this is my prayer for us. God, go to work on our heart. Go to work on our heart in such a way that when people see the fruit of the spirit flowing out of us, when people see us powered by your spirit, they don't look and say, man, what a great guy. What a great girl. They say, no, that's something beyond human ability to do. I wanna know more about that. And Paul just launches into this prayer with a prayer that people would pursue where God's unlimited power is at work in us, but he doesn't stop there. Look at, look at how he finishes out verse 17, right in the middle there. 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? In love may have strength, here it is again, I'm praying strength, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Stop right there. Paul not only prays that believers would be strengthened out of the unlimited power, the unlimited glory of God's riches, but secondly, here's what we're pursuing. We're pursuing a life and church where God's unknowable love is made known to us. You're like, that's a contradictory. I know. Look at what Paul said in it. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So guys, I, I want you to try to get your minds around this unknowable love. You can never fully know it. You can never fully exhaust it, but I want you to know it more and more. And before that, he says, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And so you kind of listen to this and you okay, Lord, how big is your love for us? Is it, is it like this wide? Is it like wide as the ocean kind of love? He's like, no, that's, that's like a puddle in your driveway compared to how much I love you. Okay, okay, is it like this long? Is it like Great Wall of China long? And he's like, yeah, not, not, even, not even close. Okay, how about this high? So like, is it like that high, Lord? He's like, that doesn't even begin to get at it. Okay, Lord, how about this deep? Is it like this deep? And he's like, pfft. That's your dog digging in the backyard compared to how much I love you. And Paul follows this up as he tries to give the picture of how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And he says, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Us coming to terms with how much our Savior loves us is like a million piece jigsaw puzzle we will spend an entire life putting together, we'll never finish, and yet we'll rejoice with every new piece that's put in place because it will be a greater picture of our Savior's love for us. I was walking out of Starbucks this week and there's this guy sitting by the door reading the book of Jeremiah and uh, just stopped and talked to him. I, I look for any opportunity to tell people that we're planting a church like, hey, you have green shoes. I have green shoes. Want to come to our church? <clears throat> but he was reading the book of Jeremiah. So it was like the ball sitting on a tee, just hit it out of the park. And, and so I started to talk to him and, and he said, you know, I'm, he said, I want to spend the rest of my life just being like all in for the Lord. He said, I'm, I'm done. I'm just done with like playing a game. And uh, he said, but, but before, I know before I can do that, I need to understand that God really does love me. And I had studied this passage all day and I'm like, oh, he, let me tell you how much he loves you. Like it's beyond any, the widest thing you could ever think of. It's beyond the highest thing you could. And we're just talking about this. I said, and actually um, God says that you would know more and more his unknowable love for you. That's how much he loves you. 
And I think all of us can look at our life and we can look at mile markers when we gained a better understanding of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. Maybe for you, it was after a season of just prodigal, reckless living. I mean, just out wandering, out doing what you want. And the moment you stopped, you're like, what am I doing? And you turned around and you started running home. You found the love of your Savior not waiting for you at the door, but running to meet you on the road halfway. Maybe for you, a greater understanding of God's love came after a season of prodigal living. Maybe for you, a greater understanding of God's love for you in Christ Jesus came uh, holding a newborn. And you're staring at him, and he's screaming like the kind of scream that it goes through periods where they don't make any noise, you know? It's just face red, mouth open, and you're just waiting for them to take a deep breath and you all take cover. Do I sound like someone who has experience lately? And you're staring at him and he's screaming. And you're like, you are acting so unlovable right now and yet I, I love you like crazy. And it's like, oh, yeah, I get it. Maybe for you, a greater understanding of God's love came in just a season of absolute total loss. The moment you crumbled in grief, you find yourself falling into the abundantly loving arms of a Savior. And then there's seasons where it's just abundant celebration where we just get a bigger picture, wow, we have a really good dad who loves to give really good things to his kids because he loves us. And throughout the course of a lifetime, it's all those things that are the puzzle pieces we put in place to know more and more, this journey of knowing more and more and more Christ's love for us that we will never reach the end of knowing because we can't. Look up here. Some of you, that's the only thing you needed to hear this morning. Some of you, permission from the preacher to tune out everything from this point forward because all you needed to hear was Christ loves you that much. Like the, gar- the, like the guy sitting outside the door at Starbucks who needed a greater understanding of the Savior's love for him. He wants you to know is unknowable love. And it's a sweet, sweet thing. And Paul culminates everything he's just prayed. Verses 14 through 19 in Ephesians chapter 3 are one long sentence in Greek. And he's going to put a bow on this sentence by what he says to end verse 19. And he says this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna read that again, and at the end, you're all gonna gasp. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I appreciate the really energetic one over here. I do, I do. That means, that means a lot to a preacher. Think about what he just asked there. 
God, I'm praying that you would fill these believers I'm praying for with all of your fullness. What does that mean? I think everything that Paul has written in that sentence up to that point is what he's getting at. I pray that they would be powered, Lord, out of your unlimited storehouse of power by your spirit in their inner being. I pray, Lord, that Christ would dwell on their hearts through faith. I pray, Lord, that they would know and know and know with a greater understanding your unknowable love for them. I pray that they would be filled with all your fullness. I think everything Paul has just written from verses 14 to the beginning of verse 19, he culminates in this idea that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. Hands up if you want that. I want that. And yet in a room this size, some of you walked in here this morning feeling the exact opposite of that. You walked in here and the word that describes you is not full, it's empty. And you've been on this lifelong pursuit for this fullness and you always thought it was the next thing. I've been there. It's the next thing. It's the next guy. It's the next girl. It's the next raise. It's the next promotion. It's the next car. It's the next house. It's next. Whatever will fill me is next. And I got to go get it and I got to go get it. And then God gives it to you and it leaves you just as empty as you were before you had it. Why? Because Christ fills, period. Period. Remember we were saying there's a throne on your heart. There's a throne on your heart created only for Christ through faith and throughout the course of your lifetime, you've tried to put false kings and false gods, God calls them idols, and they've sat on their heart and they've robbed Christ of his rightful place on the throne of your heart and you know it and I know it because I've been there with you. It has only left you empty and empty and empty and now God's word is pursuing you this morning if you're here and you walked in here empty apart from Christ. Because Paul, as he writes this, has just said that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filling comes, the full life comes when Christ is seated on the throne of that heart. And he tells us how to do it. We know Christ dwells on our heart through faith. Through faith. This isn't something you go out and you work harder to get. I'm gonna try harder to be more full this week. It doesn't work like that. It works like this right now in your seat between you and the Lord. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That right now at this moment in your seat, you come to an end of yourself and an end of your road and you stop right now and you call out to him and you say, Lord, I see my sin. I see who I am for the very first time and I'm in desperate need of a savior. It's Christ who fills. Hear me now. I'm not saying good, easy, no problem life from this point forward when you come to know the Lord. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying he fills in spite of the circumstances that come that are awful circumstances to walk through. His filling, his fullness is in spite of circumstances. My prayer for you is if you walked in here empty apart from Christ is that right now God's spirit would be so prompting your heart that you would just go and work with him right now 
and give your life over to him. You sit in a room full of people who had to do the same thing. And Paul goes on to end this prayer the only way he could end it with an amazing statement of worship. Verse 20, look at what he says. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Now to him who is able to do far more than anything we could ask for or think of according to the power at work within us, I want Paul's view of the Lord. I long for this. Lord, help me to understand the power that that my mind is not the lid on what you can do, that you can do beyond anything I could ask you for or even imagine with my mind. Understand, Paul has asked for some audacious things. Lord, I, I want them to know the love that is really not even able to be known. And Lord, I want them to be filled with the fullness of you. Paul has asked bold things because he understands that he can't out-ask what God is able to deliver on. He can't out-ask that. You know, like when you're with someone who has a, a very small filter and a very large amount of boldness, and off the cuff, you're just like, hey, it'd be kind of fun to go back there or see that person. You're like, I'll ask. You're like, no, no, you can't ask that. You're dragging them back and kicking them on their knees. No, 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 don't, don't ask that. Paul's like, no, I'll ask. We can't out-ask what God is able to do. And he begins to write this here. Now to him who is able to do more. Just picture him penning this. He's like, no, 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 that, that doesn't get at it. To him who is able to do far more. He's like, no, no, that's not it either. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than anything we could ask for or imagine. I want that for our lives and for our churches. But it can't be separated from what's about to come. We are pursuing life in church where God's unfathomable work is so far beyond us. We want to see God work in such a way that is so far beyond us. This is why we're planting a church on the south side of Indy. Not so that someone can come up 10 years, 20 years down the road and say, man, really well thought out, really careful, calculated plan there. You guys executed it great. No, no, no. Beyond our planning, beyond our ability, God showed up and did what only he could do. We don't even want to think about what God could do in our lives and in our churches 20, 25 years from now because it'll blow our mind. The one who is able to do far more abundantly, but we can never separate that from what is written right on the heels of it. Ephesians 3.20 is a t-shirt verse, right? We see it on t-shirts. We can never separate it from what the purpose of the far more abundant things are. Verse 21, to him be what? To him be what? Say it. To him be glory. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus 
throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. Lastly, simply, and most importantly, we're pursuing a life in church where God's unending glory is the mission for us. We want to see him do the far more abundant in our lives and in our churches, but not so we would be elevated, but so he would be elevated. That all of our lives, you and you and you and you and me in this church and the church we're planting and every other church out there, we are simply the curtain pullers backstage hoisting the curtain up so that people can see the masterpiece at center stage, right? That is what our lives are all about. And yes, our mission is to go make more disciples. Yes, our mission is to see people get saved. Yes, our mission is to see people grow. But all of it funnels out of this driving, his glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. They can't be separated. To glorify the Father is to glorify the Son. To make much of God is to make much of Jesus Christ. That in everything we do, we are curtain pullers to make much of Christ with our life and with our church. So here's the deal. We're going to make a deal today, okay? If we ever get off of this plan down south of here, you listening? If we ever get off of this plan, God's greatest glory in Christ Jesus forever Y'all, y'all are going to get your most intimidating men here, all right? You're going to grab the padlock and you're going to grab the chains and you're going to come chain our place shut and you're going to come out there and stand guard and say, I'm not letting you guys pursue this church thing any longer until you get back on the plan of Jesus being lifted up. Deal? Deal? Because it's about God's greatest glory in everything that we do. This prayer has to change something this week. This prayer has to change something. That through God's, through God's spirit, we have unlimited power in Christ Jesus as Christ dwells on our heart. That, that the prayer for us is that we would know more and more and more and more this week God's increasing knowledge, God's increasing love for us as a church, that this week with our lives, we would pray for and ask God to do incredibly, abundantly more than anything we could ask for or imagine. Why? So that he will get glory with our lives and with our church. So here's what I want to do to close. I'm going to ask the band to come back up here for a second. And typically, you know, we close a sermon, we close, the, close our Bibles, and we, we pray something related to what we have just talked about or taught on. Um, but we have our prayer right before us this morning, don't we? That just as Paul boldly approached the throne of grace and asked God for these audacious, bold things that we can now come and we can say, okay, Lord, we want this to be our prayer. Five weeks out from a new church plant, God, we are praying and asking you for this. In your life this week, God, it almost feels like, can I really ask these things? If Paul did, we're going to. 
God, we want to know your power more and more and more and more at work in our life as we surrender to your spirit. God, we want to know your love more this week. God, we want to see you work in unfathomable, unfathomable, unexplainable ways. God, we want your glory as the greatest desire of our heart. So our closing prayer today, stand to your feet. Let me read this over us as we close. And I hope as we say amen together, we will explode in worship in response to what we've just prayed. The word of God says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than anything we could ask for or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. In the church and in Christ Jesus. Amen.